If Christ rules over your heart today, you were a part of the present aspect of the kingdom. Christ has a kingdom, and we're part of it if He rules in your heart as Lord and Savior. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom will conclude his current series with part six of The Church and God's Eternal Plan. Tom has said that the theme of the Bible is that the Father is redeeming a people by His Son, for His Son, to His own glory. As our study comes to a close, And as we look at the church and the eternal plan of redemption set forth by God, we'll look even more deeply at what the scriptures call the kingdom of God. Tom will continue to examine this essential and important aspect of God's redemptive plan, looking at what Jesus has to say about the kingdom and the sobering warning he issues for all people to examine our lives and hearts. The question that you'll be asked today is this, Are you in the kingdom of God? Let's join our teacher for more right now on The Word Unleashed. In Luke 17, I read before about the Pharisees questioning him, when's the kingdom of God coming? He answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst right now. It's probably best to understand this as the kingdom is among you. It's present in me and in my work. John 18:36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. He told Pilate, listen, I have a kingdom. It's just not a political kingdom. It exists right here, right now. And if it were a political kingdom, my servants would be fighting to defend me. In Matthew 19 we find sort of a key text. I want you to turn there with me. Because here we have the present aspect of the kingdom really defined for us. What are we talking about when we say there's an aspect of the kingdom right now? Matthew 19. You remember how this account began in verse 16. Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And Jesus absolutely nails this young man with his desperate need of salvation by showing him how far short he falls of God's law. The young man says, oh, you know, I've done all that. Jesus wants him to understand by another probing question that he has misunderstood the nature of the law. And in fact, he stands guilty before it. And so he tells them to sell all his possessions and give to the poor. His point was, you haven't kept the law at all. The essence of the law is what? to love God with all your heart and to love others as you love yourself. And this man loved instead his possessions, we're told. So then there's this conversation that ensues after this guy leaves, having rejected Christ and the good news. Jesus, in verse 23, said to his disciples, here's another teaching opportunity Jesus seizes after this young man leaves. He says, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, remember what this man came asking about, verse 16? What may I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Then, verse 24, again I say to you, he's making the same point. It is easier for a camel to go through, probably here, the literal eye of a needle, he's using hyperbole, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Notice, he just equated kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. He uses two synonymous statements in back-to-back verses, and he uses those different labels. So the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same thing. What is it to enter the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven today? Well, look at the next verse. When the disciples heard this, verse 25, they were very astonished, and they said, then who can be what? Saved. You see what's going on here? Jesus is defining for us what it means to enter the kingdom today, what the present aspect of the kingdom is. It is salvation. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are exactly the same thing, and to enter the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven today is to enter salvation. It's to be saved. It's to obtain eternal life. That's why back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, there you see, to be saved is to be rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now this present aspect of the kingdom was also the ministry of the apostles. You look through the book of Acts. After Jesus' resurrection in Acts 1-3, He appears to the disciples over a period of 40 days and He spoke to them concerning the kingdom of God. This is what He's teaching them about the kingdom of God, this present aspect of the kingdom of God. In Acts 8.12, but when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. This kingdom, this idea of entering into the rule of God through repentance and faith was the theme of their message. Acts 20, Paul says, I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. That's language we're used to. Look at the next verse. And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Acts 28:23. when Paul finally makes it to Rome, they set a day for... Him, they came to him in his lodging in large numbers. He was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. This was the ministry of the apostles. And Acts finishes in verse 31 of chapter 28 with Paul preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered in Rome. So I guess we could say this. We could define the present aspect of the kingdom as the people over whose hearts Christ rules. If Christ rules over your heart today, you were a part of the present aspect of the kingdom. Christ has a kingdom, and we're part of it if He rules in your heart as Lord and Savior. But there's also a lot of teaching about this present aspect of the kingdom. I don't have time to go there. I encourage you to read the kingdom parables of Matthew 13 that describe and define this current spiritual aspect of the kingdom. But Scripture also says that there is going to be a future 
kingdom. There is a sense in which we live temporally in this present age while spiritually in the age to come. There is a future aspect of Christ's kingdom. Right now, this present aspect is salvation. If you're saved, you're part of the kingdom. Christ rules in your heart. But there's a future aspect of Christ's kingdom coming that is different. Turn to Matthew 19. If you're still there from the rich man, look down at verse 27. Now this is right after Jesus has then told him in verse 26, you think this is impossible? Listen, with people this is impossible for rich men to be saved, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said to him, verse 27, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. He says, We're not clinging to stuff. We left it all to follow you. What then will be there for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also will sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has, loved, who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Jesus says, listen, there's a different kind of kingdom coming. I am going to sit on a glorious throne and you are going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So even in the context where he talks about the present aspect of the kingdom being salvation, obtaining eternal life, he says there's a future aspect of the kingdom coming as well. In Matthew 20, verse 21, he says to James and John's mother, what do you want from me? She said, command that in your kingdom, she's looking at the future, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. In the ministry of Jesus, they understood there was this future aspect. And what was Jesus' response to this? What are you talking about? There's no future aspect to the kingdom. No, what did he say? He said, listen, that's not mine to grant, but those for whom it's been prepared by my Father. Matthew 26, turn there with me for just a moment. Matthew 26, verse 26. During the Lord's Supper, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing he broke it, gave his disciples, said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus said there is a future aspect of this kingdom. Luke 1, even about Christ, it's prophesied before his birth that he will be great, called the Son of the Most High, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. In Luke 19, we see the same point. We won't turn there. You can look at that parable that Jesus tells. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Paul, and in several other similar references, Galatians 5 and Ephesians 5, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's saying, listen, there's a future kingdom coming, and if you think you're getting in, still living the lifestyle of an unbeliever, you're sadly mistaken because that shows you're not really a believer at all. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul speaks of God's righteous judgment that's coming 
and you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you indeed are suffering. He says, listen, right now you're suffering, but if you suffer well, if you suffer for the sake of Christ, you will be counted worthy of a future kingdom. Second Timothy 4, Paul charges Timothy to preach, and he says, I charge you to preach by His appearing and His kingdom. And he ends that chapter with, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. Obviously, Paul was anticipating a kingdom yet future. James 2, that we went through just recently. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? An heir is by definition one who hasn't what? In this context, hasn't yet received the inheritance. It's promised, but he hasn't gotten it yet. There's a future aspect to the kingdom. So what is this what are these future or what is this future aspect of the kingdom? What are we talking about? We know the present aspect is salvation. It's entering into eternal life. It's being taken out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Christ. Be under his rule. He now reigns in the hearts of all those who are part of his kingdom today. But what about this future kingdom? Well, as we look at Scripture, it really takes two forms. First of all, it takes the form of a millennial kingdom. That is, a thousand-year period in which Christ will reign on this earth. Now, I'm not going to try to prove this to you tonight. I hope to do that when we get to the doctrine of last things. I just want you to see that this is one aspect of this future kingdom that's coming. How do we know this? There are a number of passages, but here are a couple to consider. Matthew 8, verses 11 and 12, Jesus said, I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Obviously, he can't be talking about the present aspect of the kingdom. He's talking here about a future aspect. But at the same time, notice that there are people who are somehow connected to this kingdom who don't end up in eternal bliss. Because he says, but the sons of the kingdom, probably a reference to unbelieving Jews, will be cast into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there is a kingdom which isn't simply comprised solely of believing people, but it's not now. This is a reference to what the Bible calls this millennial kingdom. You see the same thing in Matthew 13 in the parables that are listed there. I'm not going to have you turn to Matthew 13, but let me just reference what happens. In Matthew 13, in several cases, the kingdom of heaven is described right now as having this mix of peoples, both in the, for the tares, for example, which is the one I've cited here. You have the real wheat, the real thing, and you have also the false. So that's the present aspect of the kingdom, where the true and the false grow together. But the future aspect in which the righteous will shine is highlighted as well. So you have these two set against each other. In Matthew 25, let's do turn there, back just a couple of pages. Matthew 25, verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the sheep separates excuse me as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right the goats on his left the king will say to those on his right 
Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So here we're given some context as to when this occurs. It's at the end. It's when Christ returns in His glory. And the key passage, and we'll look at this in great detail when we get there to the doctrine of last things, is Revelation 20, where in five verses immediately corresponding to each other, a thousand-year period is mentioned. And there are a number of reasons that we should take that literally, and we'll look at that when we get there. But this is the millennial kingdom. That's one part of this future kingdom. The other part of the future aspect of the kingdom is what theologians call the eternal kingdom. That is, the entire eternity that lies before us. Peter references this in 2 Peter 1.11, talking about our entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, speaks of the reality that Christ was the first fruit in raising from the dead. After that, those who are Christ that is coming, that's the resurrection that occurs when Christ returns, and then comes the end when He hands over the kingdom to God the Father when He has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all enemies under His feet. There is here both the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom. And we'll take this verse apart a good, a good bit more when we get to the doctrine of last things as well. But I just want you to see the big picture. So when you think of the kingdom, realize there is a present aspect. It's salvation. If you're in Christ, you are in the kingdom. Christ rules in your heart. There is also a future aspect that will be a millennial reign of Christ on earth for a thousand-year period. And then there is an eternal kingdom where he will reign forever and ever. So, how does the kingdom relate to the church? The church is not the kingdom. Augustine confused this in his book, The City of God. And on Augustine's doctrine of the church as the kingdom of God, the Roman Catholic Church built its doctrine of the church. In that teaching, therefore, the church has absolute authority to actually physically establish the rule of God over the earth, over its people, and by some interpretations, even over government. But folks, of the 114 occurrences of ecclesia, the, word, the Greek word for church in the New Testament, it is never equated with the church. Secondly, although the church is not the kingdom, the church and the kingdom are very closely related. If we had time, I'd take you to Matthew 16. You remember Jesus said, I will build my church. What does he say in the next verse? He gives to Peter the keys of the kingdom. In a later account, in one of the other Gospels, he also gives the keys of the kingdom to all the apostles. What are the keys to the kingdom, and how does that relate to his church? John MacArthur, I think, summarizes it well. He says, The sum of it all means that any duly constituted body of believers acting in accord with God's word has the authority to declare if someone is forgiven or unforgiven. The church's authority is not to determine these things, but to declare the judgment of heaven based on the principles of the word. When they make such judgments on the basis of God's word, they can be sure heaven is in accord. The keys of the kingdom are simply the authority of the church to recognize those who are outside the kingdom and those who are not. Alan Cairns writes, The kingdom 
is the rule of Christ and the sphere in which he exercises that rule. The church is the fellowship of people who have received the offer of the kingdom. So the kingdom emphasizes God's gracious sovereignty. The church emphasizes the people who have come under that sovereignty. Finally, and very briefly, what are the main points for us? First of all, we must not confuse the kingdom of Christ today with any earthly kingdom. Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this realm. There are movements, both theological and pragmatic, in America today to try to Christianize the culture, to try to equate the kingdom of God and the church. That's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Who cares if this person is a more moral person if they're headed to an eternal hell? Don't mistake the kingdom with the church. Number two, we must make sure that we, we personally have truly entered Christ's kingdom. You know, Christ, that's uh, Matthew seven twenty-one to 23. Christ gives a, a stern warning, and we've looked at it before. But it's so important to remember Christ's words at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew seven twenty-one. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Here he's looking ahead to the judgment day and to a future form of the kingdom the kingdom over which he physically rules. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter that kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, look at all the miraculous things we did. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me because you practice lawlessness. You don't do what I say. Don't call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say, Jesus said. We must make sure that we've truly entered Christ's kingdom. Have you personally turned from all that you know dishonors and displeases Him in repentance and faith and embraced Jesus Christ? Or are you still living a life characterized by lawlessness? Jesus says on that day, He will say to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We must make sure we've truly entered Christ's kingdom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, don't for a moment believe you're going to inherit the kingdom if you're living a pattern of the things and the sins that he lists there. Finally, we who are Christ must pray for the kingdom to come. Jesus taught us that, didn't he? Your kingdom come. As we studied it together, that means we're praying both for the advancement of the present aspect of the kingdom, in other words, that God's rule that Christ's rule would be extended in new hearts around us and be extended in its way it permeates our hearts, that His rule would be more profound, that we would be more responsive to His rule, your kingdom come in the present sense, and, and probably primarily, praying for that future aspect of the kingdom. Christ, may your kingdom come. May your rule become law on earth when you return. It's really a prayer for Christ to come. Lord, may your kingdom come. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that concludes our current series titled, The Church and God's Eternal Plan. 
Join us next time for a brand new series as Tom Pennington once again brings us to God's Word. But Tom, before we end our time today, would you share a closing thought with us? Friend, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ, in his wonderful, perfect life, in his substitutionary death, and in his resurrection, then you belong to the church, the true church, and you are part of the spiritual kingdom over which Jesus rules. Give him thanks. Express your gratitude for the grace he has shown in your life. And if that isn't true of you, then know that you can belong today. If you will turn to Jesus Christ and cry out to him for forgiveness, for cleansing, if you will cry out to him for all that he offers in and through his work, he will offer it to you today. I plead with you to do so, friend. Thanks, Tom. And friend, to serve as an elder in a local church is a noble ambition, but it comes with a sobering responsibility. The existing church leadership must actively be seeking to identify, equip, and appoint elders to continue the work of ministry. Invite your pastor and other church leaders to join Tom Pennington February 18th in South Lake, Texas, as he is a featured speaker at this year's XL Ministries training conference, Becoming Biblical Elders. Visit thewordunleashed.org for more information and registration links to the conference. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.